0: the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Samaritas, the state's largest private foster care and adoption agency. However, Samaritas also provides a number of other services around the state. They are one of the largest refugee resettlement agencies in Michigan. They serve homeless families, persons with disabilities, abused and trafficked women. They also provide market rate and affordable housing for seniors and HUD housing for families and also have skilled nursing, memory care and rehab communities in Grand Rapids, Cadillac and Saginaw. Samaritas. We thank them for their support here at Deadline Detroit. Hey, everybody. Happy Wednesday. Welcome to the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Coming up on today's program, a return to the exciting world of municipal finance. Well, it may not sound that exciting. It's actually pretty important stuff. There was a big decision that came down in the Michigan Court of Appeals. We'll talk to the man who brought the suit, arguing that the state has been underfunding communities for the last 30 years or so. John Moke will be my guest on today's program. Stick around for that. The Craig Folly Show is made possible in part by Deadline Detroit, one-stop shopping for all your news. Also, home to Deadline Detroit TV, which includes The Zip, a weekly wrap-up of the week's news with some humor. Deadline Detroit, one-stop shopping for all your news. Hey, everybody. Thanks for checking out the show today. Uh, You may recall a couple of months ago, actually not even that long ago, it was late June, I believe, um, I had a conversation with John Moak, who, of course, is a law professor at Wayne State University and also represents the group Taxpayers for Michigan Constitutional Government. They had brought suit against the state of Michigan, arguing that under the Headley Amendment, the state has been underfunding communities for a long time. We've spent a lot of time talking about municipal finance and why Michigan seems to lack... Uh, the funding for its communities that other states seem to have. We had a long discussion about that. Uh, And this lawsuit, of course, argued for more money going forward for these communities. Now, the appeals court actually came out with a decision a couple of days ago, and it was a split decision. They agreed with the group taxpayers for Michigan constitutional government on one of their claims, but disagreed on two others. Had a chance this morning to sit down with John Moak once again at his home to talk a little bit about what the case means, what the ruling means, and also what their next plans are going to be. What does it mean for cities? We just don't know yet. And I'm joined once again by John Moak. again. He is a professor of law at Wayne State University. John, welcome back. Always a pleasure. Well, thanks for
1: immense, Craig.
0: All right. Well, we had this discussion on municipal finance just a couple of months ago here, uh, sometime back in June, I believe, while we were waiting for the appeals court to decide. They did come out with a decision on July 30th, and it was, uh, it was sort of a half... Half victory, uh, half loss for your side of this. Um, Let's talk, first of all, about the question about schools in particular and whether or not school revenue should be counted as revenue sent to the local governments. In my reading of their opinion uh, yesterday, and I'm not a lawyer, so I need your help on this, uh, but in my ruling, it almost looked as if they looked at schools and local units of government as almost the same entity in terms of the funding. So any money that goes to the schools counts as money towards the municipality, even though they are separately elected in most communities, separate units of government.
1: Well, we had three claims in the lawsuit, mm-hmm. and two of them dealt with funding of schools, one with funding of public schools and the other, the second with funding of charter schools. Now, the Headley Amendment requires that 48.97% of all state revenue be shared with local governments as a group. And school districts are local governments. We argue charter schools are not. We can talk Mm -hmm. about that in a minute. But school districts are local governments. So are cities, villages, counties, and so forth. And so uh, what what we maintain uh, regarding the uh, funding of public schools under Prop A, which was adopted in 1994 to restructure local school financing, is that uh, the... uh, Constitution, Prop Prop A and the Constitution, when it was placed there, essentially uh, converted uh, local property taxes to a state sales tax and then paid the sales sales tax to the schools to cover uh, the uh, property tax, which had been lost. And then when they paid the the sales tax to the schools, they uh, basically reduced support for all other local governments on the basis that that payment could be counted. Now, we say the payment to the schools under Prop A cannot be counted because to do so would result in a tax shift that places a tax burden on all the other local governments. And Headley has a provision uh, in it that prohibits the state from placing a tax burden on local governments. And so while Prop A funding of schools is a payment to local government, a local government, a school system, we say that the payment itself constitutes a tax shift, placing a tax burden on cities, villages, and other forms of local governments. Therefore, it cannot be counted.
0: Well, and, you know, one of the things that we talked about last time was how constricted many of these governments have been. Uh, they've had to raise taxes to to provide basic services because of the lack of funding from the state. Many of them are statutorily capped right now. They can't raise taxes any, any further. Uh when you take a look at this and what has happened over the years, I mean, what was the court's rationale for, for looking at it this way, based on their decision? Because I, I couldn't see clear reasoning behind it.
1: Well, the court's rationale was, was the same, of course, as the state presented, and that is the payment to a local government, which Prop A funding payments are, uh, are to be counted. It's it's a, it's a state payment to a local government. And our argument is, well, it is a payment to local government, but Section 25, another section of Headley, says you cannot place a tax burden through a tax shift on local governments, and that's what that payment does. While it is a payment to local government, school districts, it's a payment that results in a tax shift, and our argument is that you can't count it as a result. The court did not accept that Section 25 uh, controls how you count the payments under what's known as Section 30, and and we feel there's there's a strong argument that says that you can, uh, you can't, you must exclude the payment, and uh, and the Headley intent supports that. Well,
0: it was there was a lot of discussion about the intent of the framers of, of the Headley Amendment, right? And and when that went into effect, uh, they did talk a lot about that, and. Uh, I looked at it, and they said, well, their intention was this, but again, there's Section 25, as you mentioned, which specifically states this. Did they give you a a reason um, as to why they ignored that part of it, or did they they address it?
1: Yes, they did. What they said was in a prior Michigan Court of Appeals decision, Section 25 was construed to be merely introductory and not substantive. And therefore, since it's not substantive, it doesn't have, you know, operational effect essentially on any other provision in Henley. Uh, that was an uh, earlier Michigan Court of Appeals decision. We believe a later Michigan Supreme Court decision essentially says otherwise, that, that the uh, Section 25 is substantive and there also is a general principle of constitutional interpretation that says every, every word in the Constitution has meaning. If it's merely introductory, our argument is it really has no meaning in terms of construing the Constitution. So those are the types of issues that'll be uh, before the Michigan Supreme Court if it uh, accepts our application for appeal
0: yeah well it certainly sounds like that's the direction you're going in at this point um, our, let's talk about charter schools for just a second because this was the one that I found uh, a little bit baffling in that they charter schools many of them are for-profit companies you uh, know they're nonprofits they are not elected they don't have elected boards how did they rule that charter school payments count as a payment towards a local unit of government?
1: Well, what you said is all true. And, uh, uh, you know, in the case of this second claim uh, that charter schools are not local governments, the court split two to one. Um, The dissenting opinion was written by Judge Peter Meter. And he basically, uh, at the hearing and in his opinion, he thought that uh, the idea was nonsense. Um, Basically, he said that uh, as the language of the... uh, amendment and the implement, implementing legislation so says, that uh, charter schools are not political subdivisions of the state. They do not essentially have limited geographic boundaries and are, and are essentially beholden to the electorate. And therefore, they could not possibly be considered uh, local governments. And that's our position. Now, part of the argument of the majority was, well, they perform a school function and they, with public money, educate children in, in, the, in the state. Uh, and that's all true, except that uh, recently, uh, in the past month, the Michigan Supreme Court has ruled that a, being a functional equivalent of a local government is not does not constitute a local government. And that was our argument uh, uh, in the Court of Appeals, that charter schools might be said to be functional equivalents of school districts. Uh, public school districts, but that's not a principle that you use to interpret the state constitution. The principle is the common understanding of the people who put the uh, provision in the constitution. And the Headley provision was placed there in 1978. Uh, and, and at that time, pl- a political subdivision of the state was, as you described it, uh, it's a governmental entity that is beholden to the uh, to the voters of the district that it uh it, it essentially uh, well, and it controls. also
0: it also seems though that there's an unfair application of this statute then in a city like detroit which has a ton of charter schools compared to a neighboring city like gross point which has none uh, they don't other communities don't have the same burden that a community like detroit or flint does places where charter school operators have come in to fill in whatever gaps they feel there are in the educational system uh that seems an undue burden on certain communities that other communities don't face.
1: Well, I think that's right, and uh, and as you pointed out earlier, these are private corporations. I mean, they're private corporations with private boards of directors that are self perpetuating. They have no taxing authority. They have no other governmental authority, and it's 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 it confounds us as to how they. The, it could be concluded to be a, a local government.
0: Well, and and, and I'm going, to get, getting, going a little stray here, um, a little astray here, but it, it does seem that there's potential ramifications for this decision beyond just the funding issue when it comes to charter schools and whether they're considered a government entity. Does that open the door for some of the claims that they argue that they should be getting the same kind of state support that other school districts do, besides just the per pupil foundation grant?
1: Well, it, it possibly could. I mean, if the court so rules that they are local governments, then that may, that may open up a Pandora's box
0: so that's something we'll have to think about at a later date but i just want people to think about that for just a second because the charter school debate is obviously one um that we could have for hours and days well, let if we me point out to, Craig, please <clears throat>
1: these numbers are not small numbers i no. mean uh the the amount in, in the first claim in prop a uh the amount of funding there was six billion dollars so uh, basically if we exclude prop a funding um, there will be at least $3 billion that would be freed up for other other governments because the other governments are entitled to 48.97% mm-hmm. of that. Um, and in the case of uh, charter schools, we're, we're talking about more than $1.5 billion funding of charter schools. So the, the numbers, these numbers that have allowed the state to keep state revenue that would otherwise be shared with local governments are significant. And... Uh,
0: now, you lost on both of those issues. Now, you did win on one of them, though. And this is a mandated programs from the state uh, that the state mandates. They cannot, uh, you, basically, they can't make you do something and not pay for it <laughs> is well, what it is. I mean,
1: the Hadley Amendment added 10 sections to the Constitution. And um, uh, most of these sections dealt with limiting the ability of state and local governments to raise taxes. Mm-hmm but three of them dealt with protecting uh, local governments against state action that might place burdens on them. Sure. And we've talked about two of them already. There is a a third section, Section 29, which basically provides that if the state requires a local government to perform some kind of function or service, called a mandate, the state mandate, which the state has the authority to do because local governments are sub-instrumentalities of the state. But the, the people in the Constitution said if the state requires the local government to do something, the state must pay for it. And so there are some mandates that, where that has occurred. And there are some payments that, that, uh, that the state has made to local governments. And once they make the payment, they count that as aid to local governments, and, and what we say is it's, that's not aid to local governments that can be included in the percentage that's to be calculated that their local governments are to receive. That's reimbursement for an obligation impl- imposed upon local governments uh, to perform a state mandated function
0: well and, and give give listeners a, an idea of of an example of of, of the kind of payment that we're well, talking there been about
1: several payments one of the problems here by the way is that uh, when uh, when headley was adopted the implementing legislation required the state report annually on what mandates were being imposed and, and money being paid the state has never prepared a report so the only way we could sort this out is to look at cases since 1978 where the the state has lost the case and the court has required that they make a payment. And and so we don't know exactly how much the payments are, but it's in the hundreds of millions of dollars. But you asked about an example. Uh, There's a couple of examples as it relates to school districts statewide. One is to mandated transportation for students. Mm -hmm. And the other is special education programs where the state has mandated special education programs that have not been voluntarily adopted by by one school district or another on their own. And so those are two examples.
0: And and those are not again not small dollar amounts either. So so you know if everything stays the way it is right now there's some relief coming to local governments but they don't know how much yet. I mean again the state's going to have to figure out what the cost of these programs is and report it out as they've supposed to been doing all this time. um any idea? Do we have any idea what, no, ca- what kind uh, of money we, we're talking we, about?
1: We really don't. And and the the problem is that by them withholding Prop A funding and or including actually including Prop A funding in the percentage and including charter school funding in the percentage, the numbers are that those numbers are so large it skews excuse the excuse the the proportion in favor of the state in a major way. Sure. So the third claim may not result, at this point, we don't know, in any additional payments to local governments, which is a reason to essentially uh, appeal the other two uh, claims.
0: All right, so so next steps. Obviously, you're, you're talking about appealing this to the Supreme Court. You have to apply, and they, they decide whether they want to hear the case, um, Based on the fact that, when you got the split ruling on on the charter school issue, uh, so it was a two-to-one, does that make it more likely that the Supreme Court's actually going to take a look at this?
1: I think so. Um, I think the fact that we won on our third claim yeah, um, and that uh, Judge Peter Meader has written a strong dissent uh, on our second claim, uh, I think, uh, and, and because these sections have not been thoroughly uh, analyzed by the Supreme Court, there are. There's very little precedent on the uh, on the issues that we. Uh, in fact, there's really none on the issues uh, on the principles that we uh, are espousing. Uh, I think the court uh, will will take the case uh, in order to provide clara- clarity as to the meaning of Headley.
0: Well, obviously, this is something that's going to take some time. Um, so I, I saw some of the reaction from the state. They're saying, "Hey, we're we're." going to do budget just like we would every other year we're not taking this into consideration at this point in time uh but i'm guessing when 2021 budget comes around uh this might be something that they have to think about a little bit more difficult uh, differently
1: well i would hope so i mean uh, we have until uh this is september 10th to uh file an application to leave uh and that is to appeal to, to for the court to accept the case the michigan supreme court and um being as important as this case is, because the longer it goes on, if we're successful, the more money the state keeps. We're not asking for any damages. Sure, we're asking for the the situation to be corrected going forward. So, the longer that takes, the more money the uh, state keeps putting in their pocket that we argue they're they're not entitled to.
0: I should remind folks, my guest right now is John Moak. Of course, he's a professor of law at Wayne State University, and also uh, he is the lead plaintiff or the one writing the briefs for the plaintiffs i should say in the case that was taking a look at municipal finance uh and and so i just want to get your reaction when you when you saw the decision and and what they said what was your initial reaction i mean were you surprised because we didn't know how this was going to turn out you had some ideas i suppose before before this came out but were you surprised um
1: the answer is yes we expected to win on a third claim as we have we expected to win on charter schools um we knew that uh our first claim on prop a was a was a tough one and the, the way in which the questioning was coming from the uh uh from the court the three judge panel uh at the hearing in january uh we thought we hadn't convinced them that we were of our arguments um so the surprise was really on our charter school claim
0: so uh we will see that you get this filed by September. I think you said September 10th Correct. is your date. Um, when do you expect this to get heard if, if they take it up?
1: Well, I, I, uh, I think the Supreme Court will act on this uh, rather expeditiously. I, you know uh, First, they have to decide whether or not they'll accept the appeal. Uh, yeah, They actually could decide the, the case uh, on the application because you file a full brief and the uh, attorney general will file a full answer to, to the brief. Uh, but uh, I would hope that they'll hold a hearing before the, uh, the end of the year. And well, then uh, perhaps uh, in early uh, early uh, next year, uh, perhaps uh, we'll be able to hear something from them.
0: All right. Well, John Moak, we certainly appreciate your time, your willingness to talk to us about this, and we'll watch for next steps. Thank, Thank you. Thanks a lot, Craig. John Moke is a professor of law at Wayne State University and also represents taxpayers for Michigan constitutional government. We will, of course, follow this as it winds its way up to the Supreme Court. If they decide to take it up, we will keep you up to date on that because this ruling could be pretty significant. We're talking about billions of dollars here, so it's important stuff, and I'll keep you up to date on what's happening there. Thanks for listening today. Don't forget, if you want to reach out to me, feel free to do so. Show at gmail.com is the email address. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, LinkedIn, and whatever other social media channels you can think of that I may or may not be on. I don't know, but go ahead. You can find me. It's not that hard. Thanks for checking out the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to it. Tell your friends if you like what you're hearing. Let them know that we're out here each and every day. We'll talk again tomorrow. See you then. The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology, faster than thought possible, to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services.